And, uh, I want to say the other day I did a Google search, and if you, uh, if you don't know what Google is, you, you really need to get with the times. You may want to get a computer, type in Google, it'll change your world. Um, but I did a Google search, and I just typed in the words Christmas and stress, and I was amazed that over 119 million things came up that have to do with the word Christmas and stress and words like depression and discouragement and anxiety and, and, and loneliness and frustration and despair. And normally, you know, I think when, when the word Christmas is, is, is thrown out there, it really should be connected to words like joy or peace or, or celebration or goodwill or, you know, a, a word like happiness. I mean, after all, this is the season, this is the celebration of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, where did this all come from? Well, um, the Roman Almanac states that the very word Christmas derived from the Old English words Christ's Mass. And it was a day that um, was created years ago, uh, actually in 336 A.D., and it was, it, was, it was held on December 25th, and there was a lot of debate on which day it should be held, but it was held on December 25th to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. However, over the years, I want you to, to just think about, if you could, all of the things that we have added to that one day. I mean, we have, we have added um, just things like, like, like giving gifts to, to ourselves and, you know, uh, having parties in celebration of, of what we're doing together and, and all of that stuff. And, and, and Christmas, it, it's amazing, it has become this time when we face stress more than any other time of the year. Psychiatrists and counselors will tell you that their business picks up um, the, day at the, the day after Thanksgiving. Their phone starts ringing probably more than any other time of the year, and it just builds up to, to Christmas Day. And for whatever reason, as, as soon as, as Thanksgiving ends and Black Friday begins the realities of our lives begin to surface and we begin to think of the financial hardships and the family dysfunctions and the painful experiences that go along with the season. And for many of you, the Christmas season is a painful reminder of maybe someone that is no longer in your life. It, is a, it brings back maybe bad childhood memories of, of bad experiences. For others of you, it represents a loneliness of experiencing, experiencing a broken relationships. And so the holidays can be a very difficult and dark time. And then you just tack on all of the extra things, that, again, that we've thrown into it. The parties, the cooking, the decorating, the shopping, the volunteering that we all try to cram into two very short weeks. And it's so easy how we lose our focus on, on, on what this is to be all about, and we add stress to our lives, and slowly we begin to replace Jesus with stress as the focus of the season. My son Zachary was showing me the other day on YouTube um, some events uh, from Black Friday, particularly in Walmarts all over the United States, and uh, and even here in our own local Walmarts, we had some some craziness that I heard about. Um, up the road in LJ in North Georgia, there was a, a, a brawl over a cell phone where people got arrested, people got trampled. And you just think about that stuff and you go, you know, this is crazy. This is chaos. We have truly, in many ways, lost our focus. I mean, think about think about that. This started out as a one-day celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. And again, over the years, we've added, you know giving gifts to each other. We've, we've, we've added parties. We've, we decorate trees. We decorate houses with lights. And, and we put up moving reindeer outside of our house. And we blow up Santa Claus that have snow inside these big, big bubbles. And, and we have drive-through villages and things like that that we can go through. And, and, and shopping frenzies. And you add all of that together and you realize we've turned Christmas into stressmas. 
Back in the Old Testament, when Isaiah was a prophet, um, the southern kingdom of Judah was, was going through a lot of stress as well. There was darkness, there was despair, there was, um, the people not only lived in spiritual darkness, but they lived in, in great fear and anxiety that, that the mighty nation of Assyria was going to invade them. And there was this constant threat that they were living with. And, and God sent a, a guy by the name of Isaiah who was really his mouthpiece, probably his most famous prophet. And he told of a great light that was eventually going to lead the people out of darkness. And he spoke of a promise that a great deliverer, a Messiah, would come and he would lead the, the nation of Judah and Israel out of despair. And, and, and he told about how he would come as a child. He actually wrote, for unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born. But he would also be a king that would reign forever. He would bring hope and promise. And so, as a result, Christmas is, is really a time of great promise. It is supposed to be a time of hope for all of us. It's a time of worship, where we worship the fact that God has sent the Messiah to the world to not only provide deliverance for ancient Israel, but to provide deliverance for us as well here in this time. And that he would be the savior of the world, a redeemer that would offer forgiveness of sins. And he would bring freedom from, bond, from the bondage of not only our past and present sins, but sins that we would commit in the future. And that he would bring a hope and a promise for our lives for the future. And so Jesus, I want you to know, he came to give us life, not stress. The weight of the world was to be on his shoulders, not ours. And as we're going to see over these next several weeks, the prophecies that were written thousands of years ago about who this Messiah would be, the very names that God would give him. They are names that, that give us a deeper understanding of what Jesus came to do for us. But they're also words and names that help us to leave stressness behind and to truly embrace and understand the Christ of Christmas. And I want to, so with that said, I want to encourage you to invite people to come with you over these next several weeks because we're going to be talking about issues that are very relevant to, to, to everybody's life and, and certainly relevant to what people are going through during this time of year. And I want to encourage you to, 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 to think about the Christmas Eve services that we're going to be having coming up on the, on the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th and to focus in on some folks who are not in church today or people who are far away from God or are drifted away from God or who don't know Jesus as their Savior and invite them into one of these experiences so they can hear about what Jesus Christ has truly done for them. Now... With all of that said, I want, I want to focus again on Isaiah chapter 9, and, and I've given you some context about what was going on in Judah back during that time, the threats that they felt from Assyria, the spiritual darkness that was going on. And I, I want you to read with me what Isaiah said to them, okay, in the context of this promise of a coming Messiah, which we're going to focus on when we get to verse 6. Here's what it says. Nevertheless, verse 1, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Neptali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, is a, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And here we go. For unto us a child is born, to, un to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders." 
The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that day on and forever. And so Isaiah tells us about what was going on during that time. But then we get into verse 6. He focuses on the, this coming Messiah, this Jesus who would be called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And he talks about how these very names would speak volumes into what kind of savior and king he would be. Now, what is in a name? Think about the words that we just read for just a moment. And you think about what's in a name. Well, I think there's a lot to be said about someone's name. A name can say something about a person. It can give us insight into a promise that was made to a parent. Like the name Samuel from the Old Testament. A mother by the name of Hannah prayed for years and years that God would give her a son. and, and, And she had a son named Samuel. And his name means God hears. So we think about the name Abraham. And Abraham's name meant the father of multitudes. Several years ago, um, I had a chance to take my family along with um, the Bloy side of my family to the world's largest Christmas store in a little town in Michigan called Frankenmuth. And many of you have been there. It's a little Bavarian German village. And I mean, it's a Christmas wonderland all year long. And if you're into Christmas, it's a place you need to go to. But my sons, my son, Zachary and Taylor, um, since they were little, they've had their own Christmas tree in our family room where... They can decorate it however they want. And while we were in this Christmas store, they found ornaments with their names on them. And my son Taylor, whose his name, full name is John Taylor, um, the name John actually means God is gracious. My son Zachary, my youngest son, his name means humble before God. And the incredible names of Jesus, they represent different promises that, have, that God has made to us. They help us to understand why God would, would send his only son to earth. They teach us not only what the Messiah meant to the ancient Israelites, but also what he means to us today. And Isaiah said to us back thousands of years ago that God was going to give us a child who would be born and his name would be Wonderful Counselor. Now in the Hebrew, the word wonderful means something that is indescribably indescribably great. Something that is so tremendous that it is literally beyond description. Something that transcends our human experience or our human imagination. The word counselor means to advise or or to to resolve or to give wisdom. Now, what makes a good counselor? If you were going to go see a counselor, what what makes a good counselor? Where a counselor, a good counselor, is someone who would be effective in understanding your problem and then be able to give you competent Um, guidance towards a workable and a doable situation. You want to be able to walk out of a counselor's office and say, here's my issue. They understood it. Now I've got a plan to move forward. When the scriptures refer to Jesus as a counselor, it doesn't mean that he's just good at giving advice or that he's a good listener. The name wonderful counselor, when they're put together, means that he understands things that are beyond our ability to comprehend. They go beyond our finite minds. He knows things that only a God could know. He knows the ways of God and he understands God's plans and his purposes, not only for our lives, but for this world. A wonderful counselor, Jesus, would be able to give wisdom far beyond human capabilities. Now, if you were living thousands of years ago, back in the, in the land of Judah, when this prophecy was written, and, and a, pro- a prophet would come on the scene and he would say that God was promising to send a wonderful counselor to you, someone 
that had a direct link to God's plan and God's purposes for your life and for your nation, you would go, that's incredible news. That's amazing news. Now, why would God need to send a wonderful counselor? Well, the fact that God created you means that he understands exactly what you need and he knew what you were going to need before you ever knew you needed it. He knew what you were going to ask for before you even knew to ask for it. God knew we would need a wonderful counselor. You say, why? Well, because from a psychological perspective, God knew that we were going to need a priest. We were going to need a priest. Now, in the Old Testament, a priest served as a mediator between man and God. A priest would go into the temple and he would make sacrifices and he would make an atonement for the sins of the people of Israel back at the time when and God would hand select priests and they would be his anointed people who could enter into the temple and make sacrifices for people's sins. Today, um, based on what kind of tradition you come from, religious tradition, you might go and sit down with a priest or sit you know, between you and a wall and a priest and you might confess your sins to a priest as you know, thinking that, that he is the mediator between you and God. If you're in a, in a different kind of tradition, um, and, and I believe according to, to what the Bible says, you can sit down w- with a pastor and you can talk to him, receive counsel, get help, but we have a direct link to God. The book of Hebrews, when you get into that, and if you want to take your Bibles and flip over to that book real quick, it's found in the New Testament. Jesus is called a great high priest. And he is called a great high priest because he is a priest that God would give to this world that would be superior to any other priest that we see in the Old Testament and certainly any other priest or pastor that would come after him. And when you look at Hebrews chapter 4, here's what the writers of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus being our great high priest. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, we have a great high priest who is not only able to sympathize, but to empathize with all of our weaknesses and to understand all of our needs. He has gone through everything that we've gone through. He has already dealt with everything and every issue that we are ever going to face. And because Jesus has once and for all paid for the sins of, of uh, the paid for the, the price of all of our sins, verse 16 gives those of us who have been forgiven, those of us who are in Christ, who are ch- children of God, a strong encouragement to approach God's throne with confidence. We can come into God's presence. We don't have to go through anyone else. We don't have to confess our sins to anyone else. I mean, I have people even to this day that will come to me and say, I need to, tell, I need to confess my sins to you. And I'm going, you don't need to do that. You just tell them right to God. You have that direct access and you can do it with confidence. You can do it with boldness. We can come into God's presence with courage and we can speak honestly. We can speak openly with God with reverence, but with also without, sh- without shame or fear of punishment. That's why it's referred to as what the writer of Hebrews says, the throne of grace. Grace and mercy and help have been offered to us because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. When Jesus said it was done, it was finished. That was great news for all of us. 
we can now go into the throne room of God, the throne of grace, and with confidence stand in the presence of Jesus, knowing that we have been forgiven, knowing that we have been approved, our sins have been atoned for. Look at verse 17. It says, for this very reason... He had, to be make, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, I love this. Jesus became human in every way so that he might be able to personally identify with us through every bit of suffering and every temptation that we'll ever face. And you think about people around you that are suffering right now. You think about people who are ill, people who have found, bad, found out bad news, people who have just recently lost people that you know, people who've gone through broken relationships. Jesus understands all of that. You think about people who, who go through temptation, every one of us. We all face things where we, where we suffer, we face temptation. And Hebrews says we have a great high priest who is merciful, he is faithful, he has been where we have been, and he is able to help us through temptation. Now, I want to point out the word help to you which is used in verse, uh, verse 18. He's able to help us. That verse, that verse help, word help, in the Greek carries with it the idea of a rope or a chain that would secure a boat close to a dock, especially during a time of a storm. If you've ever been next to a huge ocean liner, if you've been, you know, ever been on a cruise boat before, I mean, when they dock, you see these, these they're big ropes, but in relationship to that, that boat, they're tiny. But they have the ability, they have the strength to be able to anchor those boats, to to keep those boats secure and close to that dock, regardless of what happens. And we have a high priest who has the ability to, to help to keep us anchored during the toughest of storms. He has the ability to keep us securely tied to a firm foundation. He has the ability to pull us in close to him. And to keep us secure through any problem or any storm or any temptation that we might face in this life. And I don't know about you, but I need that kind of help in my life. Through the things that I've been through in my life, times of suffering, times of loss, certainly times of temptation. I need a priest that I can go to for help that understands what I'm dealing with. And not just someone that's faced the temptations and the problems that I face, but I want to go to somebody who has done it perfectly. And someone that's done it without sin. I want to be able to sit down with someone that, that has wisdom that I will never have. I want, I want to be able to sit down with somebody who accepts me for who I am. I don't have to prove myself to him any longer. He loves me enough right where I am, but he, but he also loves me enough to, to not allow me to stay where I am. And that's why he's called a wonderful counselor. We need that. So from a psychological perspective, I mean, we need a priest. But we also, from a governmental perspective, God knew we would need an advisor. I'm always amazed when I, when I see the president sitting around this huge oval table. And, and he's got like 25 different people around him. And I'm sure you've seen pictures before where here's the president and he's got 25 people sitting around him. And they're all high, you know, A personalities with strong opinions. And you've got the education secretary and the labor secretary. And you've got the chief of staff and you've got the attorney general and the national security advisor and the secretary of defense. And, and, and they're all sitting at the table. They're all experts in the area that they represent. Sitting at the table, the president, he has... At his disposal, all of the wisdom and information he needs to run the country right there. Now, I want you to think about your lives for a moment. 
And I want you to think for a moment about the different facets and the different things that you've got going on in your lives. Many of you in this room are married. And that's a plate that you're spinning. Just, you know, you want to have a, a, a marriage that honors God and it's growing and it's healthy. And then many of you, you have children and that plate, you know, you're having to spin it, you know, more, maybe more than one child. Some of you are, are, are single and you, there's a lot of challenges that go with that, especially if you're a single parent. So you've got that plate spinning. You, you've got a job that you're supposed to be an expert at. You, you've got a, you, know, you want to grow in your relationship with Christ. So you feel like there's a plate you've got to spin. You've, you, 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 many of you are in, in school right now. And so you've got schoolwork and homework, and that's a plate you've got to spin or extracurricular activities. Um, some of you have got difficult family members that you've got to deal with, and they're coming into town here shortly. And so you're spinning that plate right now. You know, um, many of you, you know, you're trying to maintain friendships, and that's difficult. Those are, you know, things that put stress on us. Many of you, you're, you're, you're dur- certainly during this season, you're trying to be wise with your money and stay within financial boundaries so you don't put yourself into debt. And so there's a plate you're spinning. I mean, if we added it up, we, there's all of us in this room probably have over 30 plates that we're spinning just trying to figure out how to keep those things going properly so our world doesn't come crashing down around us. And the fact is, we have a wonderful counselor that is also an incredible advisor. So how does that work? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians that we can have the actual mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 tells us, let this mind, the mind of Christ, be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, we have this Savior who came as a human. In other words, he emptied himself of his deity, okay, so that he could experience everything that, that you're experiencing right now and that he, we could become like-minded with him. In other words, if you're going through suffering, we can look and see how Jesus handled suffering and we can apply it to our own lives, If you're going through a temptation or a problem, you can see how Jesus handled all that stuff and you can see the mindset in which he went through those things and you can see how he did it and we can apply it to our own mindset. It doesn't matter what what you're facing. The Bible says you can have the mind of Christ as you face those things. And I know many of you, you look at it and you go, man, I'll tell you, Brian, I'm so new to this and 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 I look at this book and it just overwhelms me. I mean... I don't even know where to go in this book for help to try to have the mind of Christ. Well, I want to tell you about a promise that that God has given us, and and it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the the promise is that the Holy Spirit would be a guide for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. And some of you may be going, Well, what if my, you know, my mind is just shot? What if my brain is fried? You know, after years of doing crazy bad things and all, whatever. I mean, I, my, my mind just is fried and shot. It's just messed up. What if I'm hurting so deeply right now and I, or I'm so far into sin that I can't connect to the mindset of Christ? Listen to what Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says. And I want to tell you, I, I can't tell you how many times I have gone back to this verse. At times where I have myself felt far away from God I can think about my college experience where I felt very far away from God. Times where I've struggled and suffering when I lost my dad. I just felt so not knowing what to say to God. I mean, I wanted to have the mind of God, but I felt so disconnected from his mind and truly trying to understand what he was doing and what was going on. And yet this verse says in the same way, the spirit of God helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. And you've had moments like that. And you may be in a moment like that right now. You don't know what to pray for. So it says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. In other words, there are moments in our lives where 
We want to have the mind of Christ. We want to be able to think the thoughts of God and how to know what God is thinking and how to handle certain things, but we just don't. And so as children of God, there are moments, and I've had many moments like that where I've just said, God, I don't know what to say to you at this moment. You know the overwhelming emotions that are on my heart. And so, Holy Spirit, I need you just to speak on my behalf. I need you to make sense of what I'm feeling because I can't make sense of it. And to talk to God in such a way where he understands, and he does, but to groan words on my behalf that I could never understand because I can't understand what's going on inside of me. So we can have the mind of Christ. Think about that. And we have a Holy Spirit that helps us. But also, we can have our minds refreshed, renewed, and transformed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, amazingly enough, Paul says that God has the ability to renew your mind. Renew, actually in the Greek, is the word metamorphosis, and it means to renovate. Now, how many of you... And I'm sure most of you in this room have at least one time seen the ABC show um, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. I mean, raise your hand, okay? All right. Listen, most of you in this room have seen this. And I mean, Sunday nights, you're sitting around, you got your Kleenex, and, you know, Ty Pennington is on there with his whole crew of advisors, and they have this very sad story. And they end up, you know, they come in and they renovate a house. But before they renovate a house, what do they do first? They sit around and they come up with a plan. And they talk about, he's got all of his expertise, experts in, in different areas and they come up with a plan. And then they go in and they remove all of the old junk so an extreme metamorphosis can take place. And some of you are in a place right now this morning where you need to experience a metamorphosis. You need to have your mind renewed, refreshed, and transformed. You need to, and how do you do that? You get the junk out. You want to have the mind of Christ? You got to get the junk out. And that comes through this gift that God's given us called repentance. Where you lay the junk of your life down at the feet of Jesus and you say, God, I'm sorry for these things. And as we do that, the Bible tells us that we receive forgiveness for those things because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And as we do that, we experience life change. And the promise is there that the Holy Spirit will lead us and he will advise us and he will give us wisdom and direction for our lives. God has the ability to take a run-down, beat-up beat life and renew it and transform it into something that he could actually enjoy living in. That he could actually use. And that's you, that's me. The fact that Jesus is a wonderful counselor means... That he's a magnificent advisor. We can have his mind and our minds can be renewed and transformed and refreshed. And many of you at this moment, you need to have, there needs to be a moment of repentance in your life where you just bring all the old junk and say, God, I'm tired of this junk. Renew me, refresh me, transform me. Now, while the third thing we need, the reason why we need a wonderful counselor is from a legal perspective, God knew that we were going to need an advocate. Now, we have several attorneys in this church and, um, You've probably heard before that an attorney, another word for an attorney is the word counselor. Now, what does an attorney do? Well, one of their roles is to, is to represent people in judicial proceedings. And, and I want to tell you something that I don't completely understand about the Bible. Okay? And, and I want to tell you, even though I've been to school and studied this book, there are so many things that I look at and I go, I still don't get that, completely understand that. But in the book of Revelations, chapter 12, verse 10, it tells us, that Satan is the accuser of, it's the word's brethren, it means Christians. In other words, the Apostle John tells us that Satan 
is accusing us of our current sin in front of Christ all day long, in front of God all day long. He's constantly talking about what you're doing that's wrong, telling God about how bad you are, how much of a mess up you are. Even though you've been forgiven, redeemed by Christ, you belong, Satan is, you you no longer belong to him, you're no longer dead, you're alive. Satan is constantly just throwing you under the bus in front of God. And yet, I love this, Check out what our wonderful counselor is doing on your behalf. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Here's what John says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not be in sin. But if anybody does sin, and we all do, he says, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now that's amazing, isn't it? The wonderful counselor that we have in our lives defends us in front of God. He speaks to the judge in our defense. As Satan accuses you, Jesus defends you. As Satan slams us, the counselor promotes us. The Bible calls him our advocate. He is our defense attorney. As Satan is slamming down the gavel, yelling guilty, Jesus says, innocent. You're innocent because of what I have done on your behalf. Satan screams out, condemned, and Jesus says, atone for. I love that. Some of you go, atone for what? Well, Jesus, John says Jesus is atoning, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atone means that he would not only sacrifice himself for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. He paid the price for our sins. Now, here's the crazy thing, the cool thing. The advocate is also the atoner. The advocate's also the atoner. You say, how could that be? Well, let me give you just an illustration. Zone in with me for a moment, okay? I want you to think for a moment that you've been arrested. Some of you go, well, I've been arrested before. I I know what that feels like, okay? Um, And you've been charged with a capital offense, and I mean, it's a slam dunk case. I mean, you're guilty. You're, 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 there's no doubt. I mean, and so you've been told to get an attorney um, because the penalty of the crime, if you're convicted of this crime, is death. It's death. The problem is you, you don't have any money. You can't afford the kind of top-notch attorney that you're going to need to defend you. And so you're helpless. Now, out of nowhere, you're sitting in your cell one day. Out of nowhere, a person appears to you. And he, he happens to be the best defense attorney in the country. He's handled thousands of cases just like yours, and he's never lost. And here he is at your cell. comes to your cell, and he informs you that he's going to defend you, and he's going to give you all the time and all the attention you need. And to top it all off, he's going to do it all for free. It's going to cost you nothing. So you agree to this, obviously. I mean, you're, you're all in. So the day the trial comes, and you appear before the judge. And the judge's reputation is, is he's very firm, but he's also very fair. And so the case begins and the witnesses come forward and they're called and they're accusing you and putting all of the evidence that's against you and, the, and, and it's presented. And I mean, it's all laid out. And when it's all said and done, you're guilty. It's a slam dunk case. The jury is unanimous. And now the sentencing part comes into play. And you stand before the judge being ready to be sentenced. And he sentences you to death. And you hear those words, and I mean, it, man, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. Your knees get weak. I mean, you realize man, the end of my life is near. And 
Your stomach turns, there's a knot in your stomach. Your heart begins to race. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, your attorney does something absolutely bizarre. He steps out from behind his table and he announces to the court that he's going to pay your penalty. He's going to pay for your crime. And you're totally confused. And I'm going to tell you something. The people in the courtroom, they're in a frenzy. They don't know what to make of this. And your prosecutor, the one who is blaming you, that's accusing you, he is outraged. And you're thinking, man, what in the world is going on here? And then the judge hits his gavel, calms the room down. And he looks at you and he, and he looks at the attorney. And with deep sorrow in his heart, he says, yes. At this very moment, my son, your attorney, is going to pay the penalty for you. The attorney is going to pay the crime for the client because he's the only one that can adequately pay for this offense. And with the sentence, the judge's son, your attorney, the one who is arguing your case, pays for your crime. Now, you think, that's a bizarre story. That's a crazy thing. But that's exactly what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Isn't that awesome? I mean, his death on the cross provided a once and for all atonement and payment for not only the sin that separated us from God, but also daily atonement. In God's eyes, your sins have been atoned for because of Jesus, your advocate, your atoner. Romans chapter 5 verse 19 says, For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners. Look at this. So also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. We were all, every one of us in this room, including myself, we were condemned to die. All of us were guilty, but the counselor, the advocate created a way so that all of us could be set free. And today, if you have already accepted the gift of salvation, the gift that was paid for on the cross for you on your behalf when you were guilty and sentenced to die. Listen, I want you to know that, in, that you are righteous, you are innocent in God's eyes because of Jesus. And so Isaiah, thousands of years ago, he said that God would send a savior and he would be a wonderful counselor. He would be someone that would understand things that, that would be way beyond our comprehension. He would be someone that we would call a high priest that would, that would be able to offer us the kind of help that we need that would anchor us in close to the dock, the firm foundation when our lives were being rocked. We, we, would, we would need an advisor, someone that could give us wisdom that was way beyond the ability of even the best counselor, human counselor in the world. We would need an advocate, someone that would be able to defend us against a constant accuser. But more than anything, we would need an atoner someone who would stand in our place. And when we were sentenced guilty, he would stand in our place and take our punishment so that we could be set free. We would be approved, we would be atoned, we would be blameless and righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because of Jesus. See, that's a wonderful counselor. When you think about all that Jesus has done for you, who you truly are in Christ, you can look and go, that's a wonderful counselor. When you understand, you know, and when you get your mind around that, you know what it does? It begins to take the stress off. You realize that you don't have to keep the plates spinning so hard because Jesus has done it all for you. We can keep going back to the cross 
to get the power that we need in every area of our lives. And so guess what? As, as a result of the fact that we have a wonderful counsel in our lives, we need to take the stress off of our shoulders, the stress that Jesus promised he would take on his own shoulders, and we need to put the focus back on the Christ of Christmas. Put it back where it needs to be, which is on Jesus. So here we are. We're in the middle of the Christmas season. And I can't help but think that there are many of you in this room that are, you're just stressed to the max. You're looking forward to some, or in the midst of some pretty difficult issues right now. And for whatever reason, Christmas seems to magnify those issues. Your finances are out of control. Family dysfunction's overwhelming you, and it's getting ready to, to get worse because family's coming to town. The holidays, for, they bring back memories of past hurts, past pains in your lives. And honestly, these days, they can be, for many people, very difficult times. Days that we, we face our hardships head on. And it's at, that, it's at moments like this where we truly have to make a choice. Do we choose to live our lives apart from God? Doing things that are going to wreck our lives even further. Spending out of control, growing our debt, drinking too much at the next party, blowing up at the next family member that comes to town, isolating ourselves, having our own pity party, shrinking into moments of loneliness and depression and discouragement, trying to over, just we overcommit ourselves to things during this time just to kind of numb the pain, doing everything that we, seems to, that, that we think is right just so that we can handle our problems the right way, thinking that God will be happy with us if we do, or... Do we step back from all of this and do we choose to turn to our wonderful counselor at this very moment who is our high priest, who's our advisor, who is our advocate and our atoner, who's promised to do it all for you? Do we keep going back to the cross to find the strength and the power that we need for every day? Or do we keep doing it? Are we going to choose to do it in our own strength? I want you to bow your head for a moment. So many of us, we walked into this room with so much junk in our lives, so much crud. Even as believers, we, we, we tend to let our lives, sin build up in our lives. And at this very moment, I just wanted you to take a, a moment. And we, we talked a moment ago about having the mind of Christ and being renewed and refreshed and transformed. Just take a moment and just spend time confessing those things before God you're truly a child of God. You can walk out of here forgiven, in right standing with God, blameless. There are some of you in this room that that have never, ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior. And Jesus not only came as a wonderful counselor, but we talked about how he came to pay for your sin. And at this very moment, what you need is an atoner, you are guilty. You're guilty of sin. You're guilty, and your sin has made you spiritually dead. And Jesus has come so that you might have life. And God is offering salvation to you through Jesus Christ alone. It's grace that you could never deserve. And the only way you can get it is by faith in Jesus at this very moment. So with heads bowed, why don't you pray with me? If you're at that place in your life, just say, Lord Jesus, I need forgiveness of sin. And it's forgiveness I could never earn on my own strength. I need someone to pay the price for me, and Jesus has already done it. And so right now, I put all of my faith and all of my trust in what Jesus has already done. 
and I received the free gift of salvation into my life. And Lord, I don't even may know, not even know what to do next, but I pray that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, will come alongside of me and help me to take the next step. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for what Jesus has done for me on the cross. Thank you for sending a wonderful counselor into this world because right now I need one. In Jesus' name, with heads still bowed, if you did that, I want you to take out your connection card. There's a box on there. We want your information. Just give us a box that says, this morning I prayed to receive Jesus as my personal Savior. Would you take that card out to the atrium, take it to the help center so that we can know how to pray for you, but also we can help you to take that next step. And for the rest of us, I want us just to take a moment and just let's get ourselves refocused. Let's get ourselves to where we need to be. So many of you have settled into stressmas. Let's get back to Christmas. Christ, the reason for the season, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And as Courtney and Andrew and the rest of this crew up here are singing, let's just take a moment and just make things right with God and walk out of here the way that God sees us, righteous, blameless, forgiven, powerful because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all of that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.